Guys, ready with your family. I'm Hendrik, and I'm here in Cape Town in Greenpoint, and uh, sitting here in a restaurant. And across from me is sitting Hunter. Hello. Welcome very much to Guys, ready with your family. Thank you so much, and I do feel part of the family. Thank you so much. I love Guys, ready, and thank you so much for having me on this opportunity. Fantastic. So we've recently added your music onto our playlist, and uh, really great music it is. And a little bit later, we'll be chatting more about that. But let's start the conversation with something I think is very topical at the moment with Trump and all that homophobia going on, Brunei just going, uh, we're going to stone gay people. Homophobia, have you experienced it and, and how has your experience been? Homophobia is a huge, a huge topic in terms of a huge thing for me and for many people. I have experienced it in different ways. Um, my experience has been quite subtle and it has been extreme. I mean, I grew up um, being uh, name-called at school, all the derogatory terms. Um, as I grew up as a individual trying to express myself within fashion, within movement and dance. I've been name-called, I've been chased down streets, I've been followed in cars, I have been on a public transport, moving train carriages because people were chasing me. So I've experienced it in different ways. But as growing up, I realized that there's multi-levels of homophobia and there's subtleties in homophobia. So I'm Indian, I was raised as a Muslim. I'm not practicing now, but I was raised as a Muslim. And, for example, if I travel to India, the first thing that people will say, are you married? Where are your kids? And as soon as you say, I'm not married, I don't have kids, they assume that you have a problem. There is no association that there's a possibility that you might be gay. And if you say that you're gay, it causes such a big deal that they can't handle it. So you become silent. And after many years of that, I realized that this is the subtle levels of homophobia, but not being able to express who I am. There's nothing wrong in being gay absolutely nothing wrong with being gay but I was made to feel that there's something wrong within my culture within my being brought up and also day-to-day living I mean now I'm staying in Cape Town for the near future and um, I don't experience it at all here in fact it's celebrated here and this is the first city that I've ever lived in where I feel completely open and free that I could if I choose to I could walk hand in hand with my partner or a boyfriend down the street and we do get looks but we get looks from international travelers not Keptonians um, and I think it's a big deal for me it's a, it's a, it's a turning point for me that's interesting because I mean one would think London would be a very open city in, in that regard is it or is there still a lot of homophobia there as well? There's homophobia everywhere. Hendrik is everywhere. I think people are prejudiced within their, their own upbringing and their own belief system. London is super cosmopolitan and I'm lucky that I do live in, you know, close to central London. So there's areas in London, like there's gays, the gay area, Compton Street, and you know, that happens to be very open. However, if you go into a suburb or if you go slightly out of London, you don't know who you're going to find walking down the street next to you. And if you are outwardly gay, I would say that it would cause a look which then could lead into a comment that could lead into something else if you don't know. So you, one has to be aware. You're not completely free everywhere you go. Is it the same in the States? I mean, you, you've traveled all over the world. Surely the, the States at the moment is, is very difficult, surely, for, for gay people. I think, again, the States is a huge country. I think if you're looking at New York, LA, Miami, I think you're fine. No one messed with me in New York. No one messes with me in LA. No one messes in Miami. Because if you do, you can immediately bring up a civil case and say, I'm going to sue you for saying that. So they're very proactive in terms of their own civil rights. And there are multi, multi levels of um, different discriminations that are happening within the states between Black Lives Matter, the gay issue. 
there's lots and lots of stuff happening. So I think that there are pockets and areas in the States that it is can be very turbulent to be gay, but there are areas where it's completely open. And the cause goes on. And, and you know, there have been many people before me and many people after me and presently that are working towards making sure that, you know, gay rights is human rights and that we are allowed to express ourselves in the way that we choose to. So I think it's an ongoing concern. I don't think it's ever going to go away because the nature of homophobia is it's the people that don't understand it are pointing a finger. They're never going to get it. So I think this is a cause that's always just going to be happening, but it just changes and progresses in different ways. You know, so it's a long fight. I think mm. we'll carry on. How do we overcome that? I mean, through your music, you're obviously being an activist, but are there other ways that we can also change people's minds about this, or is it just a lost cause? I think that we have to be honest to ourselves. So as a gay person, whether you are in, in all the colors of gayness, in the whole community, one has to believe in oneself and stand up for oneself and love oneself. And by being yourself, you allow people to react and be themselves. It's easy for me to say, we can't be scared and you must take a stand and you must go out there. I don't think some people can. I think some people are brought up in communities that they're scared. Like, you know, I was brought up in a community that it's just absolutely not acceptable. So, you know, that still exists in certain cultures. So I just believe that if you can get out there in terms of if you're a gay person now and coming out and understanding yourself, it's a different time now. There's a lot of support. There's a lot of information out there on the World Wide Web. And, you know, the Internet, you can see people's stories and you can see how people overcome certain issues. And by being yourself, that's the only way we still stand together and we progress with the cause. I think if we hide, then, um, or if we are quiet, then I think it stays the same place. I don't think everyone has to be an activist. I don't think everyone has to go and make a stand for it. I think you have to make a stand for yourself. Mm -hmm. I think that's the most important thing. So if you believe in yourself and love yourself, you change your world that way. That's what I do. So it starts small, and from there it, it sort of rings out into communities around you and people around you. Yes, yes, you are the, the ripple in your water. Let's say, you know, if you, if you stand for yourself, you immediately change the way you look at yourself and other people will look at you. Mm. And so if you are proud and if you are strong and if you know there's nothing wrong with you in terms of you deserve love and you deserve to love whoever you choose to, that ripple goes out to your community. Now, do they get it or they don't get it? It's not your issue. You, mm. cannot, you can't control mm. people's opinion of you, but you can control the way you handle it. So I hope that people have support in order to be themselves. That's all that one can hope for. Mm. And then just be yourself and be loving and be out there. Wise words there from Hunter. <laughs> we're sitting here in Cape Town in a restaurant. And uh, we're talking about coming out now. Tell me, Hunter, how old were you when you finally decided to come out? Ooh, me coming out. <laughs> coming out of that magical wardrobe. Honey, I've tried to get back in there many times because <laughs> the clothes in that wardrobe were spectacular and I can't find those kind of outfits anymore. <laughs> I came out um, when I was 21. It's a funny story. I was, a, I was in design school, fashion design, and I went on a trip with my uncle and my family were also into clothing, clothing business. And so my uncle and I went to India. When we were in India, he wanted to take me to various establishments where you see dancing girls. And I was like, nah, kind of not into that. Um, and he was just like, I don't understand you. You're a strong African man. You're the son of my older brother. You need to go and see these dancing girls. And I was like, 
well, I can see their outfits, but, you know, I don't really want to go and, you know, hang out with them. And he was just like, you're gay. And I was like, I am, I, you know. And it was, even though I'm making a joke of it at the time, it was quite serious. It was the first time anyone in my family has actually come out with me and said, you're gay. And let's talk about it. So we spoke about it, and um, he was adamant that I have to tell my father otherwise he would so it was a kind of force outing the surprise was that when I did tell my father I got a complete opposite reaction to one I thought I would get okay you know I basically told my father you know I came down the stairs and I said hey I'm, I'm never going to be the son that you want me to be I'm not going to get married and have the typical lifestyle I happen to be gay and you know I want to fall in love with a man one day and this is my life and then I started saying, and I know you're never going to love me, and I know you're going, not going to accept me, so let's make a plan so I can exit the family. And, and you know, and basically, I, without any bag or any money, I decided to leave the front door and start walking down our drive, which was quite dramatic. And my father followed me, and he was like, where are you going? And I was like, I'm leaving. He was like, and you're leaving being my son? And I was like, well, you don't love me. And he goes, who said I don't love you? Like, just because you're gay doesn't make you not my son. Can we talk about this issue? So I got back into the house and we had a three-hour conference with my mom, who was weeping, my sister, who was laughing, and um, my father, that was silent throughout the affair. And basically, we discussed over and over again the possibilities of have seeking therapy, going to doctors, changing my behavior. Have I done anything gay yet? Has there been a practice of gayness? And after we discussed all of that, I was out and it wasn't spoken about for the next 10 years. So until in my 30s, it was then raised again because I had started seeing somebody that I thought I could possibly introduce to my mum. Mm. And then the issue of gay came back out. And then it was a little bit more accepted and normal as in what's the relationship like rather than the, the actual homosexual issue, more about are you in a loving relationship. So it took us time to get to that level where we can normalize it. Mm. Like, I hate to say normalize heterosexuality and transfer that to homosexuality, but basically in my culture, in my family, they have no idea what a gay lifestyle is until you present a lifestyle to mm. them. So I presented a more of a loving relationship and then it was accepted. So obviously coming from a Muslim background, that must have been really hard on the family. It was in terms of for my mom and, and for my dad because they're not used to it and they come from a very strong community. So the community is like a separate life from your work life. So you have a work life, then you have a community life and your weekends or your Friday evenings are spent within the community. I think the biggest thing is owning up that you have an alternative son or an alternative daughter. What will the community think? Where did I go wrong? That's what they were scared about, their own perception of their family. I think once they, once after the years of obviously understanding me, rather than just being focused on the gay issue, they understood that there's nothing wrong with me, that I happen to be gay, but I'm a normal working guy that's doing my own thing. Then they respected what I do and who I am, and it shifted, and then they accepted me fully. However, still to this day, I don't think my mum would ever proclaim that she has a gay son in the community. She's, people will come to, in our community, they have matchmakers, and people will come to my mum regularly and say, oh, we found a match for your son. And she will always say, oh, he's engaged, he's engaged. So um, she, she, she will not say... Not available at all. <laughs> he's not available at all. And that's fine for her. Like, that's how she handles her life. It's not for me to kind of uproot her and, change, and push her in any way. 
for me, it's like, okay, that's fine. I don't have to fight your fight. You know, just accept me as I am. If you need to tell a story to your friends, the lady friends, you can tell them that. But for me, this is who I am now. So when did you come out to yourself? That must obviously have happened much earlier. I think I started having those feelings um, when I was about 11 or 12. I think through puberty, um, growing up, um, you know, you have very playful hands. And, you know, I would discover that I would be quite inspired looking at boys. And, and I realized that all my other friends were actually talking about girls. And I was kind of looking at my friends who were boys. So I didn't know what it was. I just knew I was different. There was no one for me to speak to about it. I, would not, I could not speak to any of my friends because they were constantly talking about girls. So as growing up, we're talking about from 11 to about 16, 17, I became the kind of guy that was the best friend of all of their girlfriends. I was the wardrobe consultant. I was the, you know, the best disco dancer in the group. We would do our routines. I was the choreographer. So all of the, the fabulous things that I would do in terms of being creative, I was creative, that was really recognized and, and appreciated. But it was never ever questioned or asked, don't you want a girlfriend? Mm. Why are you not with a girlfriend? That was, that was just not ever put out there. And I kept it quiet too. I just kept the peace because I wasn't ready to proclaim anything through my teenage years. So that's kind of how it was, closeted. I was closeted, but kind of shiny, but closeted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So coming out to friends, and I mean, obviously in design school, must have been a yes. much more open yes. yeah, yeah. environment. So officially about when I went to fashion school, fashion university, I was 18. And that's when I started living more of a gay experience. So we would go to gay clubs, we would be out. I mean, I started actually visiting secretly gay clubs when I, was, when I learned to drive. So I learned to drive when I was 17 and I was out. I was going to gay clubs specifically to learn to dance. I was never, what's interesting was I didn't find my sexual awakening until much later. But what I did find was a sense of wanting to belong to a community and music brought that for me. I wanted to dance, I wanted to dance like gay guys dance. I wanted to dance in a way that I was able to express myself in a cool way. So I would go to certain clubs where they were, where the dancers would go to and I would watch from the back and I'd watch our dancers dance and that's how I taught myself and then I would get onto the dance floor and partner with people and we were a group of dancers that would go to different gay clubs every night and the bar would give us free drinks because we would dance there all night. This was my growing up in the kind of gay scene and accepting myself within that environment of music and dance. The more finding, uh, being attracted to certain people or being deemed attractive happened much later in my life. And there's a lot of peer pressure as a, as a young man growing up in the gay scene. You know, if you don't have a particular body type or you don't fit into what we call now tribe, where do you go? Nowadays, there's labels or identities for everything. Mm. So you can identify with something. When I was growing up, there was only going to be like either are you are you gay and black or are you muscle or are you a twink mm. that was it there wasn't anything else and I didn't kind of identify with any of those so for me it was like I don't know if I'm involved in this or I'm not I don't know if I'm gay if I, am I in the scene am I not in the scene but I know I want to dance and I know I love dancing and I know I want to listen to music so I'm gonna I'm gonna just do that and so that's how I kind of 
according to my own opinion. Autumn day, uh, we're here in Greenpoint, and with me is the delightful Hunter. Uh, we've been chatting about uh, coming out, we've been chatting about uh, all sorts of interesting things, but now let's chat about music. So your first single was very much in your face. I mean, if you call it so gay, it can't be any gayer than that. Tell me about the process, how did you get to that, and, and what happened when you released that? Hendrik, first of all, thank you so much for asking me this question, and I get asked this a lot, and I get asked it in different ways, so this is an alternative way that you're asking me, which is amazing, and thank you for calling me delightful, you are delightful too. Um, so gay, so gay is so gay, I mean, I had not expected to write this, this song. It happened in a time of my life where I literally started writing, and the song came out, and when I looked at the words on the paper, I was like, are you ready to stand with this? Are you ready to be part of this you know this affirmation and I thought well if I don't do it now I'm never going to do it and it's a personal story against homophobia it is a narrative of an experience of mine I have had a conversation with somebody that was very derogatory to me where I had to stand up and say just because I'm gay doesn't make me any less than you mm. and I had to do that and that was the first time in my life that I stood up and I didn't hide or I didn't make the other person feel better I didn't say ah oh, you got an issue I'm leaving I didn't do that I didn't leave I stood there and so the song took on its own rhythm so once I recorded it and it is very much a angry affirmation and like an anthem and even the production my vocals have been digitally brought down an octave to portray a much stronger harder message mm. so once we had completed the song as a musical sonical piece and it went out there the response was crazy I had no idea that people would like it I mean people then started saying you have to release this as a single you have to release this as a single it was never an idea to release it as a single it was something that I had just created so then I went into the process of releasing this single and as we started doing the campaign and the release the amount of backlash and feedback that was was being sent to me negative and positive was something I couldn't ignore so we just you know the train had left the station we had to promote this single it got to number 25 in the music week charts in the UK which is a big deal for me because it's an industry led chart so my first single gained a lot of respect from the musos it was played in New York in Amsterdam in Germany it has had the lyrical video I chose not to make it a glamorous video of myself looking pretty in high fashion I did something that would highlight the cause of homosexuals around the world and how homophobia is still ever present today there are seven countries in the world that you still have the death sentence for being gay I can't even imagine that to be in a country where somebody will say I'm gonna lock you up and kill you because you love somebody of the same sex I can't fathom that and I'm blessed that I don't live in that country so this is something that I wanted to put in my lyrical video which I did the video got 365,000 views on YouTube we got backlash from the States from Russia from Arab nations calling me every single name under the sun you know abusive they were not happy I was happy because that caused a reaction there was an emotional reaction to what I'm doing so it started a conversation it started a conversation and then it started an activism note so people then started calling me an activist because I had released a piece of art that was gaining traction and getting people to talk and that's what the video served mm. so yeah so that's so gay I mean I remember basically being a dance teacher in the UK, going to certain schools where I would teach young ladies from underprivileged backgrounds how to dance. 
and I was a Bollywood teacher. So I would go in and I'd say, I'm a Bollywood teacher, and I would show a routine, and the idea is to facilitate the workshop where they would contribute and create their own dance. Immediately when I would start dancing, all of the girls would start laughing, and they'd say, you're so gay, you're so gay. <laughs> now, for some reason in the UK, that is completely appropriate to tell a, a teacher in their face, you're so gay. I was like... I cannot defend myself, I cannot cause a scene in the school because I'm there to do a dance workshop. This all came out in this track. That's why I sing it so gay, I'm re-owning being so gay, I'm taking my power back, yes I am so gay, yes I'm powerful, yes I'm worthy, yes I deserve it, only God gave me that right, not you, God. So therefore it is a real power anthem for me and I'm blessed that I get to sing it and every time I sing it, it affirms who I am as a person and I hope that it makes a difference to anybody that feels a little bit insecure about themselves, I hope that they gain some kind of power from it, even if it's fun, even if you laugh at the track, a lot of people will listen to it and they start laughing because you don't expect the drop to come out you know the chorus to be so you know gay so even if you laugh it's joy joy is positive I'm happy with that so you know it's been a blessing for me the track has been a blessing for me. so you're kind of a musical activist there and Facebook played a big role in, in getting the word out yes it is I mean we, we had a Facebook campaign we decided that the best way to reach a numerous uh, like multiple audiences and especially global audiences was to release on Facebook so we did actively push the video on Facebook and it did great it did really good it was shared it was just kept being shared and shared and shared and shared all different countries, different languages were being commented. It was fabulous. So does this place a certain responsibility on you as an activist to, to do certain things for the community or is it through your art that you do this? So if there was an opportunity for me to do anything, like for example, if a if a organization wanted me to, to talk or represent I would gladly do that. As a humble opportunity, thank you so much for having me to talk about my story. For me, it's very important to be true to oneself. As an artist, as a musician, as a creative, as long as I can still create art that makes people think I am doing what I was born to do. So it's my activism does come through my music, my fashion and my, my shows. That's where I want to promote my activism. And by doing that, what I'm saying is that I'm being 100% me. By being 100% me, it allows you to be 100% you. So if we are all doing that, we all get to be who we're meant to be. And then hopefully we all get accepted and we all get on with our lives in a happy way. Wouldn't that just be fabulous? Wouldn't that be fabulous? <laughs> Delightful. <laughs> we are in a very busy little restaurant. It's called Café Paris in Greenpoint. So if you want to come and have a nice cappuccino, you can come here. Uh, and I'm sitting with uh, Hunter and... Um, Hunter, tell me, how did you get into music? You, you studied fashion, but how did you get into the music business? I've always, always wanted to be a singer and a dancer. I mean, my, that was my dream. At seven years old, my mum asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I either want to be an ice cream vendor or a pop star. And she was like, okay, well, no, you're going to be a doctor. And I was like, no, I'm going to force you to accept something else. So basically I always wanted to be a musician and um, I made a deal with my parents that if I did a degree in fashion or some kind of degree, then the, the day after I graduated I could go straight into the music industry, which I did. So the day after I graduated as a fashion designer, I went straight into vocal lessons and 
And within six months, I was recording my first couple of tracks in a studio in London. It, was the vocal lessons important, or do you have a natural voice, or how did that? So for me, the vocal lessons were really important because I write. I see myself more as a storyteller and a vocalist. I never say that I'm a singer. I say that I am more of a characterful voice, which has a story to tell. And the vocal, I've done a lot of vocal training with different incredible practitioners that have allowed me to open up my, my voice and recognize the tool that it is. So I work on things like tonality and accents and obviously breath control is very important if you want to sing and dance at the same time. So for me, you know, I do believe that I have a voice which has been, has been a gift to me, but I have worked on this gift and I, I still practice and work every day on my voice. Did you sing as a child? In my shower and around the house all the time. Singing and dancing, that's all I did from seven. Like, I mean, that's, that's, that's me, basically. Oh, we're getting some uh, cappuccinos here in Café Paris. I'm chatting to uh, Hunter. What role does fashion play in your music? So fashion is, it's going to sound really cheesy, and sorry for this, but fashion is life. I mean, I do believe that, you know, when you get dressed up or whatever you choose to wear signifies or represents how you want to show up to the world. I've always been into clothing. I've always been into fashion. I love dressing up. Um, sometimes it borders on costume, sometimes it borders on minimalism, but um, fashion is a very big um, factor of my life. I mean, it's something that I'm very passionate about. Um, I did a degree in it, I worked in the industry for a lot, I have a range, um, I still design, I still style, um, so it's very important to me. Okay, and then where do you perform? All over. I mean, basically, I'm in rehearsal right now. I'm planning a show in Cape Town for uh, mid-May. Um, we're seeking a venue right now. So um, I performed all over. I've performed in the States. I've performed in London. I'm performing in Cape Town now, um, especially with the new single coming up. So um, I've been performing a lot. Um, I was performing a lot as a dancer back in the day. Um, but as a vocalist, it's now starting to bubble up and start as I get out there and as the music is getting more and more popular. Your opinion of, of pop music at the moment? Mm. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite artist? Uh, Beyonce. Oh, of no, course. <laughs> I, have so, no, I have so many different artists. I mean, it's really... Hendrik, that's a really hard question for me to ask. Uh, it's like saying, what's my favorite piece of clothing? I, I cannot... There's so many influences. There's so many influencers. There's so many musicians that I respect and I listen to from Motown, from you know, from the old 1950s groups. I'll listen to to get melodies and, and ideas. Um, I love independent artists. I love folk singing. I love global music. Um, I love Indian classical music. I love Arabic music. I like the Arabic scales. Um, so. To, to, to actually say what's my favorite is very hard. However, being in Cape Town right now, um, the track that I have on repeat on my playlist is AKA Felon Versace. I do like Afro pop and I like that vibe. Who's been the biggest influence on your music? I would say Madonna. Madonna has always been a, a queen of pop and her storytelling is impeccable. She is chameleonic. She represents, um, she will create a song and then do the whole story around the song visually you know to match the narrative of her song so I have the greatest influence for me has been Madonna now you say you're in rehearsal for a show in May here in Cape Town what what can we expect from that 
Fabulosity. <laughs> um, it's basically I'm doing my my songs, my repertoire. So I have um, I'm choosing now. I have I have a lot of songs. I'm choosing to put a set together of about 15 songs. Um, I'm very keen to work with some incredible musicians here, some percussionists and DJs and um, you know classical musicians here, um, and some dancers as well. Um, and it's just to create um, a narrative um, about my songs, which generally are about love and and um, you know the various relationships that I've had. So this is an opportunity to put it all together um, and and perform. You write your own music? I do. So I I am the lyricist. So how my process works is that I will hear a beat or I will hear. I will hum a melody, or I will, I will, I'll listen to something, and it will inspire a story, a visual story in my head, and then I'll write that story out, and then I'll work with my producer to create the sound that matches the story. I write all my own lyrics, and they're all my own melodies. Okay, so uh, you have certainly something to look forward to. Uh, you come and see Hunter's show in May here in uh, Cape Town, and of course his music is on our playlist. So uh, you keep on listening, and you'll certainly hear the track. You've been having such a wonderful time chatting about music and fashion and all sorts of fabulous things. Now, your new single is out. It's called Mona Lisa Man. That's a kind of a juxtaposition, if ever there was one. <laughs> Tell me about the story behind that. Uh, Mona Lisa Man. Um, basically, I was in London in the summer of 2018. And I was in a club, and this this lovely guy came up to me. I was, you know, I was in one of those gay clubs where, you know, my I wasn't wearing too many nothing. I wasn't wearing too much on top. And um, this gentleman came past me and said that um, he was admiring my tattoos. Um, and he stopped, and he he really wanted to to know the stories of each tattoo. So I was I was talking to him, and he said um, he mentioned that I was like a walking piece of art. And then he mentioned that I'm Mona Lisa Man. And that really st stayed with me. I mean, what a lovely thing to say. It was one of the biggest compliments ever, Mona Lisa Man. So I had that in my subconscious. I had that as a, um, you know, as a dis another describing word for who I am. And then later on, when I came back to Cape Town, later that year, I fell in love. And it was a very beautiful falling in love, very dramatic and um, stunning. And equally as dramatic, it ended um, in heartbreak and anguish and tears. And I wrote Mona Lisa Man about that love affair. And the, the thing about me, and I think a lot of people will be able to relate being human, is sometimes no matter what we do, the heart wants what the heart wants. And, and even if you know that the relationship that you're in doesn't serve you fully, you still remain in it because fear of loneliness or fear of you're not going to find the same thing again. So you stay in an unhealthy relationship and um, then you realize that you're calling similar patterns to yourself from previous relationships. And this is what Mona Lisa Man was about. It is my story about why do I keep calling the same type of lover to break my heart because um, I openly go and fall in love hoping that this might be the one if there is the one and then I get heartbroken and it's a similar story as it was the last time the common denominator has been me in all the relationships so one has to own up to one's responsibility and do that deep soul-searching groundwork in order to clear those certain issues that one has before the next relationship. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. And um, Mona Lisa Man is definitely dedicated to anybody that uh, has low self-esteem. And I have to tell you that 
you're worth more than gold. Like you are worth more than gold, and that's what Mona Lisa Man is about. Beautiful. The whole process of, of getting a song to a final mix, yes. does it change much from where you started to where you end, or it, do people contribute to it, or is it your sole vision? Um, it's, it really depends who you work with and who your, um, your, your team are. I'm very lucky that my team likes me to be very authentic. So, for example, if I, if I sing the song and I do a guide vocal, sometimes we might just use the guide vocal because it's authentic and it has the energy that we were looking for. Sometimes I, I will always listen to the experts, especially with mastering and mixing, because they know how to create the levels that work sonically for public airplay. So, um, in terms of that, I'm always open, but usually it's my vision that, that sits throughout. And um, we do change it a little bit, but it kind of stays what I want. Now, getting airplay for something as gay as So Gay or Mona Lisa Man, yes. is that easy or is it, you know, do radio stations pick it up or how do you get airplay? Certain amazing radio stations <laughs> do where we He's are talking family. talking about gay as a radio. Yes, Gay SA Radio is incredible, <laughs> a supporter of independent artists and LGBTQ artists. So thank you so much for, for even playlisting my songs. I mean, it's, it's, it's huge for me. Um, there are certain radio stations that will take on new music. They're more independent-led radio stations. I believe that mainstream radio stations have playlists that are set by the big brothers and the big sisters of the industry. Um, you know, and sometimes one cannot compete with huge budgets of publicity and promotion. So, for example, I love Ariana Grande, but if she's releasing a song, that's it. There's no way that any radio station is going to not play her song. So, um, in terms of a new artist, such as myself and other new artists, I think we have to seek online radio stations. I think we have to seek independent people that generally love music and get our sound out there, which is what we do. So, are there other ways that you also get the music out through SoundCloud or you know some of those channels yes I mean basically I am on SoundCloud and I'm also on all of the platforms so my music is uh, digitally be able to download on Spotify on iTunes um, so it's, it's out there end of the day um, especially nowadays everything is on social media so you know via those portals of social media whether Instagram and Facebook Twitter as long as you're constantly um, you know updating and putting yourself out there people will follow you and people are always going to be interested in a new sound or something that's fresh that's going on and I've been very lucky with that especially with the press because it's been a little bit unusual what I've done um, it's been it's been taken on very well so the second or third release um, a lot of ears have been easily opened because they heard so gay mm. do you perform at prides at all not yet I mean I only released um, so gay last year on Valentine's Day it took six months um, of incredible building um, and that track really exploded and got into the charts not until December so um, it's only this year now I would say 2019 that I'm kind of pride ready I do have So Gay I have um, my second single Bamboo that also charted at number 24 and now we have Mona Lisa Man now that I have these three songs to go I'm hoping that I can perform at Pride it would be my dream I mean if I could perform in Pride in um, Cape Town or in Johannesburg or in Naisna or in anywhere there's Mardi Gras, it would be a joy for me. And and let's not even talk about London and New York mm. and anywhere else. I mean, Pride is, I mean, just to perform in Pride would be my dream.
Now, if people want to get hold of you, how how do they do that? Social media, you are. Um, please come to my website, www.hunterthevoice.com. My Facebook is Hunter Hunter. My Instagram is Hunter the Voice. Um, as soon as you put in Hunter the Voice, I'm number one. You'll see it there. So please, please check me out. Check out my my stuff. Fantastic. Great, exciting artist. Thank you very much for chatting with me here on Gaze Radio with your family. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be family. Thank you okay. so much for having you me. You family. Yeah. So you can listen to Hunter's music. It is on our playlist uh, here on Gaze Radio. And, of course, uh, you can also go to our Facebook page, Gaze Radio, and uh, you'll find the links there, the photographs. Everything's going to be there. And, uh, yeah, let's support LGBTQ plus artists. I'm Hendrik for Gaze Radio in Cape Town, of course, where you are family.